sports talk with no commercials. Unless you're paying, here's the Dan and Peter Show. Thank you for joining us. It's the Dan and Peter Show. Peter Montalbano on a business. I am Dan Borello. Thank you for joining us here on SoundCloud and, of course, on iTunes. Busy weekend in the world of sports. Syracuse remains undefeated. How long will that last? Well, they're playing in the ACC. I don't expect it to last through the season to the end of the regular season, or especially in the ACC tournament. But you know what? Just keep on going. And I have to be honest, I hate when people say they need to lose at some point so there's no pressure going into the NCAA tournament. Look, when, it doesn't matter because when you get to the NCAA tournament, you have to win it all anyway, or the season's not going to be looked at as a success. I know what they're getting at. Hey, if you lose, then okay, we can say... We can put away this undefeated talk and just focus on winning the national championship. I get all that, but if you talk to any coach in any sport, whether it's the Buffalo Bills who have been awful the last few years, nine out of ten coaches will tell you, I expect my team to go 16-0. and I don't live by media expectations. And players just go out and they want to try to play and win every game. The thing that bothers everybody is the media continuously reminding them, hey, you're going to run the table here? You're going to go undefeated? It's still a skosh early to be talking about that with Syracuse, but at 25-0, and man, they're doing great. But they still have to go to Duke, still have Virginia. Those are going to be tough matchups for them. They have Boston College on Wednesday night by Musakita. May suit up. He has been practicing. But if Syracuse doesn't go undefeated, I think the crowd – of fans will probably just be like, yeah, that's disappointing. All right, on to the tournament. I think if there's a place to lose, if you want to say that, it's probably the ACC tournament just because you get a few days off before the NCAA tournament because you have to go undefeated in that thing or else your season's over. Just enjoy the ride, folks. Enjoy it for what it is. Good, solid college basketball with a Syracuse team that's playing better than even the Carmelo Anthony team that won the national championship played at, or the Final Four team played at last year. As far as Team USA hockey, of course, they beat the Russians over the weekend. They have a bye in the medal round going into the second round. We only care about hockey in this country during the Olympics. Why? Because we own everything else. Whether you call it the G8 or the G10, the G20 summits that the United States seems to have less and less space at, Every time those summits get together, at the end of the day, it is America. And at the end of the day, the rest of the countries around the world, according to the average American, just seem to rent from us. I mean, we're the only country in the world that has military bases inside other countries. Do you think the British have a naval base in the United States? No, it doesn't happen. But the United States has bases all over the place. The American mentality, we own the world. Everybody else rents. But when it comes to America being an underdog, we could always go back to the Cold War. And we always worried about what the Russians were going to do, what the Soviets were going to plan next. And I'm sure our government at the time, I was a little young, fed us with a lot of lies and BS stories to try to get us a little scared of what may happen, especially around election times. There's nothing more marketable than fear. 
Do you think even after one generation that that taste has left anybody's proverbial mouths? I don't think so. I think most Americans can't stand the Russians based on, oh, geez, let's see, Rocky IV, uh, what happened with the Cold War, hmm, anything else? That's all you really need. And anytime you beat the Russians, it's always a good thing. But the fact that people think that it's going to raise hockey's profile, sorry, it's not happening. The NHL is not benefiting from this. Yeah, they might get a little kiss when regular season play resumes after the Olympics, but it's really not going to mean that much when the Stanley Cup playoffs start. Here's the problem with hockey. One, it's incredibly expensive to play. Two, you need to afford the ice time to play it which means that if you have some kid who's five or six years old and wants to play, you got to bring him to practice at some of the most ungodly hours, whether it's early in the morning at 5 a.m. or well at night. Also, you also, in hockey, don't have a lot of rinks, so players have to travel, which means you're lugging that kid all over the place. Who wants that? My parents didn't want it. And it's not like football or baseball or high school sports, which are publicly funded, and you have the equipment right there, just go get it. They'll teach you how to play. You might have to buy a pair of spikes or something, maybe a mouth guard. No, you got to buy all your own stuff. And if you're a goaltender, forget it. And kids grow like weeds, as people say, and you have to keep buying your own pads, and every year you have to buy more and more and more, and people in this country have so many other options, they don't want to do it. In Canada, it's their national sport. Well, it's actually box lacrosse, but let's be honest, it's hockey. So the only reason why anybody in the United States is watching Olympic hockey at this point, it's because it's the only real guy sport, team sport, that anybody could get behind because it's the only guy sport, team sport, that they could actually recognize from Sports Center. They also have the gold medal game back in 1980, the Miracle on Ice that everybody remembers. By the way, how did hockey benefit from that game um it didn't that's why we still keep talking about it it's not like these college kids went to lake placid beat these professional russians and all of a sudden the cold war came to a screeching halt and they saved the planet from nuclear war now it was just a freaking hockey game and by the way that wasn't even the gold medal game they had to beat finland to get that a lot of people don't realize that either but it's the only team sport we recognize it's the only sport where there's actually a league dedicating an entire season and a big trophy at the end called the Stanley Cup. Of all the sports in the Olympics, that's the only one that guys recognize. So what do they do? Well, I could get behind rooting for Team USA for the sake of 1980 and for the sake that we're going up against the Russians and for the sake that we don't want to lose to Canada. And then as soon as they lose to Canada and end up with a silver medal again or whom, whatever, all right, we move on with our lives. When is the NFL Combine? I mean, that's what it's all about. But I got to be honest, beating the Russians was awesome. And don't think for one second any of us watching that game wanted to lose that shootout. TJ Oshie, never heard of the guy. I don't follow hockey. All of a sudden now, he's the most popular hockey player in the country. When was the the last time a hockey player was as popular in this country as TJ Oshie was over the weekend was Ryan Miller and the performance he put on back four years ago when 
he led Team USA to the silver medal. In fact, the Sabres' first game, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, the Sabres' first game after the Olympics that year, back in 2010, was in Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby, who is this generation's quote-unquote Gretzky, if you want to call him that, he'll never be Gretzky, he'll never even be close to Gretzky, but he is arguably the best player in all of hockey and definitely one of the most recognizable. He got a pretty good ovation from the hometown Pittsburgh crowd. But you have to remember, you're just coming off the heels of watching this guy beat up your American team that you were rooting for in the Olympics when most people actually do watch hockey that one time every four years. And he got a pretty good ovation because he's a penguin, and we love him. He's brought, in two, he's brought two Stanley Cups to Pittsburgh, so we love him. But the guy who got the loudest ovation was the opponent's goaltender named Ryan Miller. That was the last time an American hockey player had carried that much weight with a country, and it's short-lived. The United States loses in the medal round. It's gone. All that goodwill is over, and we're focused on people like Michael Sam coming out of the closet. We're focused on NFL free agency. We're focused on salary cap casualties. We're focused on franchise players in the NFL. We're focused on spring training and baseball and Derek Jeter retiring at the end of the season. If you're a Red Sox fan, you're focused on repeating and how is A.J. Pierzynski going to fit in the clubhouse at Fenway. If you're a basketball fan, you're thinking, okay, what trades are going to happen at the NBA trade deadline that are going to affect my team. And oh, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, there's still college basketball to worry about because in a couple weeks, guess what? It's conference tournament time. And if your team is on the bubble, you better win that conference tournament. In other words, we're going to completely forget we were in the Olympics playing hockey pretty soon. And I heard this rhetoric Guys like Mike Lupica from the New York Daily News saying that the win over the Russians was the biggest win since the 1980 Miracle on Ice game. Really? So the games that got them to the silver medal a couple times weren't more important than a game that just simply determined seeding in the medal round? Yeah, I know you don't want to lose to the freaking Russians, but really? Does that really mean more? than any other victory in tournament play in the Olympics since 1980? I find that hard to believe, especially coming out of a mouth like Mike Lupica's. I know he's better with his fingers than he is hosting a talk show on ESPN on Sunday mornings, which, by the way, is borderline atrocious. Just stick to writing, Mike. But you beat them in... The preliminary round. You didn't beat them in the medal round. If you'd beaten them in the medal round, yeah, I'd agree with that. Because nobody likes losing to the Russians. But what if they go on and they beat Canada in the medal round and advance? You mean to tell me that that victory is not going to be bigger than the Russian victory? And you mean to tell me, I mean, I understand. You could look towards the past and say, well, they didn't beat the Canadians in the gold medal games, so therefore this game had to mean more. No, those games meant more, and this victory as of right now is probably the biggest victory in their mind simply for moral value. But in, the reality is, yeah, they beat the Russians. Nobody wants to lose to the Russians. That's all well and good, and it ended in a shootout. 
which is cute and gimmicky, but it's really not that fun. One-on-one. That's not the way hockey's played. This is not basketball. Basketball, you can play one-on-one. People would love to see Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson go one-on-one. People would love to see a guy like Shaq go one-on-one with a guy like Yao Ming in their generation. Bird and Magic going one-on-one would be awesome. Hockey ain't like that. You got a guy who just stops pucks for a living going up against a guy or several guys who are just known for shooting pucks and trying to get the puck past the goaltender. And oh, by the way, the caveat in this shootout is they can use the same guy over and over again. Maybe that made it a little better, and you could see guys like TJ Oshie work his magic, but that's not the game of hockey. It's the same thing with the shootout in soccer. Basically, hey, no pressure. We're just going to put the shooter and the goaltender out there, and whoever scores the most wins. It's ridiculous. Hockey's a team game. It's a team sport just like anything else. The fact that it went to a shootout was cute. It was gimmicky. You got on the edge of your seat, but at the end of the day, it didn't end with some overtime goal and everybody jumping out of the ice saying, it's over, we did it. It didn't end like the Sabres-Devils game, playoff game, back 20 years ago with Dominic Hasek when they were still wearing the blue and gold, stopped the puck 70 times. And the Sabres won one nothing in three overtimes. And everybody jumped onto the ice back when they played in the playoffs 20-minute overtimes. Oh, no, 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 no. This ended in a shootout. Why? Because heaven forbid we do anything more than five minutes worth of overtime in hockey because it would ruin the sport. Hockey's the most bass-ackward sport you can find. It's lopsided from an NHL point of view. The majority of teams make the playoffs. It's based on a point system. Teams that go into overtime get points. And if they can't solve... A 60-minute game in five minutes, which is tied, then it goes to a shootout? Nah, no pressure, goaltender. You've only been working for 65 minutes. Here's a few more. Why don't you just play to overtime, put your teammates out there, and just hope for the best? Uh, travel schedules. Give me a break about travel schedules. The NHL's a joke. It's an expensive sport, and it's not going to have much of an impact. Well, the Olympics aren't going to have that much of an impact going into the rest of the NHL schedule. It's not happening. Even if Team USA wins the gold medal in hockey, it's not going to matter much. Yeah, it was fun to beat the Russians. What did it mean? Virtually nothing. As I mentioned Michael Sam earlier, he's being lauded for coming out of the closet. He's the first player who's known to enter the NFL who's an admitted homosexual. I give him props for admitting that. I give him props for coming out of the closet to his teammates a year ago. It's his life. He felt trapped. He wanted that weight removed from him, and he did it, and his teammates respected him for it. I have no issues with any of that. I have no issues with him being a homosexual. I have one issue, though. You come out to your teammates. You come out in public to to America, but you text your dad and tell him you're gay. Wow. Really? You want to be a leader? You want to be a man? It's got nothing to do with your sexuality. It's got everything to do with doing things the right way. And texting your father about your sexuality, which is something clearly you weren't prepared to tell him about because you texted it to him. You couldn't tell him face-to-face, and I don't care what your travel schedule is. You could at least get on the phone and say, hey, Dad, I'm gay. You didn't even do that. You had to text your old man and tell him? You're gay because you were scared of him? Because you didn't like his reaction? 
You can make all the excuses in the world. If you want to do something and do it the right way, you can and you will. He decided to come out publicly, and then once the story was in the can for ESPN, he's going to text his father and tell him he's gay. I got a problem with that. And if I'm an NFL general manager, yeah, it's all about the way he can play. And I know that 86% of NFL players who were polled over the weekend said, I have no problem with a gay teammate. There's still the other 14%. And if the other 14% is of the Richie Incognito variety or our team leaders, then you have a problem. And if you're an NFL general manager, you're going to couple that with the fact that, yeah, the guy came out in public for a story for ESPN because everybody else in Columbia, Missouri knew, so he had to come out because it was going to be the most asked question at the NFL Combine the world's largest job interview and most scrutinized job interview. Hey, Michael, are you in fact gay? If he tried to hide it, him and Haught, then there'd be questions about it, but they might take him anyway. But he's come out and said he's gay, so now it's all on the table. So now GMs have a decision to make. Where do we put him on the board? Does it drop his draft stock? That doesn't concern me nearly as much if I'm an NFL general manager is the fact that he couldn't tell his father he was gay. He told everybody else, but he had to text his father. That screams, screams issues. I don't care what kind of relationship he had with his father. If he doesn't respect his father, shoot him a text. If you respect your father and you're not afraid your father's not going to love you anymore, then sit down with him and tell him. Maybe he had a rough upbringing with this guy, but he thought enough of it to text him because he didn't want it out there and his father finding out he was gay on ESPN. So he sends him a text. That's cowardly. That's cowardly. That's like getting a breakup, finding out that your wife is breaking up with you or divorcing you via text. That's cowardly. That's something cowards do. I applaud him for coming out of the closet. I am ridiculing him profusely for the way he handled it with his father. Leadership starts in the home. If you can't be a leader with your family then you can't be a leader. And they're expecting this guy to go out there and be a leader and be a great football player. And his draft stock is slipping because he's come out of the closet. If he's got the skills and the Buffalo Bills, my team, are about to draft and he's the best player on the board, I would hope previously that they would take him. And I didn't care the fact that he was gay. If he's got the skills and he's the best player available at the time the Buffalo Bills draft, before I found out that he texted his father and told him he was gay, I'd say absolutely take him. His draft stock, in my estimation, plummeted not because of the fact that he's gay, but the fact that he didn't have the balls to tell his old man to his face or by the phone that he's gay. That he had to send him a text? That's a problem. And we're going to applaud these guys and put them on a pedestal. You know, President Obama's applauding him and all this other stuff. How about the other half of the coin? How about the other side? He texted his old man he was gay. Wow. Now that's a leader. That's a guy I want to follow. That's a team captain. That's a guy I would run through a wall for. No, it's not. It's a coward. And at the end of the day, if you're going to be a coward when it comes to your parents and your family, how could you ever consider your teammates family? That I've never understood. Speaking of stories, Sports Illustrated amazes me because It's one of those magazines now where it's so thin you could actually slide it underneath your front door if you don't have a mailbox. It used to be the 
the magazine that broke stories. It broke the Jose Canseco steroid talk. It broke Ken Caminiti talking about steroids. It's broken a lot of things. Yet somehow, the magazine, of course, known for its swimsuit issue, which is out, has become so irrelevant. It's just turned into a glorified ESPN2 type of website where everything that ESPN has, SI has. It just has different writers, and they offer different spins on its content. But at the end of the day, I don't see myself buying a subscription to Sports Illustrated because of the swimsuit issue and because of the the fact that I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. I want the hardbound edition prelude to a championship of the Seattle Seahawks to go with my T-shirt and whatever else they can offer me when all I want is a freaking magazine subscription. If they have to offer you all these perks to get the magazine subscription, clearly the magazine isn't worth the paper it's printed on. And not to mention, since so much of it is in magazine form, by the time it gets to you, ESPN or anybody else already has broken the stories in the magazine. So now you don't even have to read it. It actually kills itself to try to get people to buy the freaking magazine with its stories. And all of a sudden, now the story's already out before the magazine gets to you. I don't get my Sports Illustrated until Friday. Tuesday morning, the story's already out, the big story from Sports Illustrated. Am I going to read it? No. Why would I? I already have all the bullet points brought to me by somebody else. And now my opinions, and it's sad, are brought to light because of the bullet points I got from Sports Center, and then the interviews, and then the experts chime in. Sports Illustrated cannibalizes itself by trying to leak these stories that come out, and yet the good stories that you want to read no longer see the light of day because they're not the biggest story in the issue. And now here comes the swimsuit issue. Does any guy still buy this? You have the internet now. It's the information age. News changes so quickly. In print media, once it's on a page and it's printed, it's history. The internet's good and the website's good because the stories can be updated and they can change. But the swimsuit issue, you can find thousands and thousands and millions of pictures of scantily clad women anywhere online. You can even have them without clothes if you want them. If I'm a guy who's into the swimsuit issue... The swimsuit issue to me is obsolete because I can find somewhere else where I can quote-unquote get my jollies and find something else to look at. Yet they continue to put this out because that's all they have is those special deals for the free championship t-shirt and the hardbound prelude to championships for every champion, whether it's college or pro, that they put out. Oh, and of course, the SI swimsuit issue. Sports Illustrated has the right idea with its Monday morning quarterback stuff with Peter King, and it has the right idea with the website it has. It's pretty clean, and it's content. But the magazine, you don't need anymore. Put the stories online and just do it that way because your magazine's become irrelevant, and the swimsuit issue, while there's a lot of hot babes in it, if I want to look at hot chicks... Why do I need to look at them with bathing suits on? Oh, man, did you see the swimsuit issue? I don't ever remember having a conversation about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. In fact, if I'm a guy who needs to look at a magazine for chicks, there are magazines specifically geared towards dudes who want to look at magazines with just chicks in them. 
Uh, let's see. Hmm. Playboy, Penthouse. And let's go clean. FHM, Maxim. The swimsuit issue? Really? There's magazines that come out with 52 of those a year. Sports Illustrated's highly irrelevant, and they need to repackage themselves somehow, any way. One way not to do it, bringing back Rick Riley. Rick Riley, man, you want to talk about dating yourself, and you want to talk about just driving yourself into oblivion. That guy's done it. Took a huge deal over at ESPN, sat out for six months to a year with SI so he could join ESPN, and has now become a caricature of himself. Talking about how he's the first guy to break stories on Twitter. Do you realize that if you follow enough people on Twitter, that that only comes up for maybe three seconds and then it moves on to the next story? If your Twitter feed has enough people like Rick Riley you're following, it's not going to stick around for very long. So, yeah, you had it first on Twitter. Great. You had the story first. Who got the story right? It's rarely Rick Riley. And the fact that he has to cannibalize himself and regurgitate quotes from his old stories and plagiarize himself and then look like a constant idiot on ESPN with these just grand statements that make no sense whatsoever that are just for effect or these stupid little vignettes he does on these sap stories which Tom Rinaldi could do better than he can or Kenny Mayne could do better than he can. To me, ESPN, the <laughs> if you really want to look at it, Rick Riley is stealing money from ESPN. If he should be applauded, it's for that because he clearly isn't providing any relevant content to ESPN. And after his contract ends, do you really want to keep the guy around? Is he worth it? I mean, this guy, if you want to applaud him, applaud him for being a scam artist and stealing money because that's all he's doing. Now into the Buffalo Bills, my favorite subject. Very unsuccessful season in 20. 20- 13. In fact, they start. They looked like they were making progress, and this team was going to be different. And even though there were injuries to key players like quarterback E.J. Manuel, in fact, several injuries, you could tell the team was making progress and heading in the right direction until the Pittsburgh game. They looked horrible. And you could make the argument that E.J. was his first game back. He just wasn't ready to come back yet. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. But then I hear a conversation from a news writer who says that he could hear Doug Marone and Marcel Darius head coach and defensive end or defensive tackle, walking into the locker room at halftime and Marone going, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And he doesn't fix it. Then they start to get their momentum back and EJ plays a great game against the Miami Dolphins. And then all of a sudden they have this implosion against the Atlanta Falcons. And part of that implosion, a guy by the name of Stevie Johnson who coughs up the football on a key drive that would have actually put them in field goal position to try to win a game. We've seen EJ come back before. We've also seen Stevie Johnson choke in big spots, and that was just another one. And, of course, his mother passes away. He misses the last two games of the season. And, of course, you know, those of us who lost parents, we know what that's like. I didn't expect Stevie to play in one game on the day after he found out his mother had died, but then having to miss the next two weeks. I don't know what personal issues were going on in his life where he had to do that, but if you're a guy dropping footballs, one game I think is plenty for you to miss for the death of your mother. Two, I'm not so sure. Then you got EJ, of course, who's always hurt. And there, there's talk from reliable sources coming out of one Bills drive that the Bills may draft a quarterback or bring in another one. You had a feeling they would bring in a veteran quarterback come free agency because they kind of have to. EJ Manuel, Thad Lewis, Jeff Toole, they're all still pretty green 
They were all rookies last year for the most part, with the exception of quarterback number two, who played one game with the Cleveland Browns the previous season. I'm looking at this whole situation with the Bills and EJ and Stevie Johnson and going, you know what, if you want to bring in a quarterback, whether you draft one or you bring in a veteran, by all means go ahead because Stevie needs a little kick in the ass, especially after injuries that sidelined him, three of which sidelined him, only one of which we actually saw, the one in the Cleveland game. The other two we didn't even see. One was in a preseason game. The other one was in a win against Jacksonville. And all of a sudden, those sidelined him for two preseason games and two regular season games. To label him as injury-prone, I don't think it's premature. Because if we don't see you get hurt, but yet you need to miss time for injuries, then you are, in fact, injury-prone. Now, I'm not saying they're going to bring in Sam Bradford if the Rams decide to cut bait with him because he's pretty injury-prone, too, and he's going to cost some cash. But I have no problem with the Bills going in and drafting a player who could push EJ or bringing in a veteran under this condition, though. If the Buffalo Bills are going to draft at nine, they can't reach for a quarterback. I know this draft has a lot of quarterbacks, and you know what? I'm not ready to sit here and go, Teddy Bridgewater, Johnny Manziel, Blake Bortles. Not ready to do that. Those guys don't scream at me the way names like Manning, Rivers, and Roethlisberger did back in 2004. The Bills can't reach at nine for quarterbacks when there might be better wide receivers at their positions, better offensive linemen, and better defensive players at their positions than a quarterback who will probably be the third or fourth best quarterback in the draft you want to get to wait till the second round I can live with that don't do it in the first round don't do it at night can't do it as far as receivers go Stevie he's got to go you got a bunch of receivers now with a year of experience like Robert Woods Flash Goodwin I know they had their injury troubles Stevie's got to go doesn't matter he talked about being a leader last year talked about being a guy in the locker room whom was going to put aside his childish his childish antics which actually got him suspended from games even though head coach Chan Gailey at the time warned him, hey, you hit the ground again or you cost us you know, a penalty, I'm sitting you on the bench, and you're not moving. They could talk all they want about him being a great guy. But two things that really bothered me about Stevie Johnson. One, the guy doesn't wear a captain's patch on his jersey, yet he's treated as a captain. That's a huge red flag. When you could have as many as six captains on a team and the Bills only select three, that screams that there's a huge leadership void with that team. And one of the guys who's pegged as a leader because, you know, just a little inside baseball here, or I should say inside football, usually rookies get their heads shaved or have to do some type of stupid little bit. And Robert Brooks, or Robert Woods rather, last year said, hey, Stevie covered all the receivers. Stevie said, no, the receivers are untouchable. So guys like... Woods and Flash Goodwin didn't have to do that stuff. Okay. But they didn't award Stevie a captaincy either. So what does that tell you? He's respected to a point, but still looked at as a clown. And dropping balls and missing games and acting like a jackass proves that he's a bad influence in that locker room and he's got to go. Can't do it. Because they're going to follow his lead because technically he is the, re- he is the leader at his position. You want to set an example for these guys? Get them out of there and let them decide 
who their leader is going to be on the field. Maybe a guy like Robert Woods can be that guy. Maybe Flash Goodwin could be that guy. But it certainly ain't Stevie Johnson. And as far as E.J. Manuel goes, he's got an opportunity to it. Now he's really going to have to step up his game and get healthy because I think the best thing for the Buffalo Bills to do is to bring in a quarterback and challenge him. Not just a quarterback's coach, not just a guy who is an offensive assistant who could help work with E.J. Manuel. Yeah, that's all a great idea. But at the end of the day, the guy's still got to perform, and you still have a team out there who actually looked worse at the end of the season than they did at the midseason point. And that is a bad, bad bad sign for the Buffalo Bills heading into 2014. You want to get better as the season ends, not worse. The Patriots are the barometer, and the Bills got their arses kicked by the Patriots on the last week of the season when the Bills didn't even have their starting quarterback on the field or their quote-unquote top receiver. What does that tell you? They got a long, long, long way to go with this team, and they better fix it fast. And the only way you're really going to fix this team is by setting examples and creating competition in the locker room and get some real leaders in there. And I'll tell you what, right now, Stevie Johnson ain't going to be the direction to go, and E.J. Manuel needs to shape up because he may be the next guy who says, you know what, okay, I, I, I'm not cut out for this. And the Bills say, you're done too. Thank you for listening to the Dan and Peter Show. We'll get back to you later this week right here on SoundCloud and on iTunes.